Anyways. Okay. Okay. We're live. All right. So, hello, Joan. Hello, Cass. Welcome to El Cafecito. I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself. What are you studying? Yeah, I'm Joan Media. I'm a fourth year student here at U of T. I'm doing a double major in environmental studies and international relations and a minor in economics. And I'm from the Dominican Republic. everybody, Cassandra Yanis Layton here, welcoming you back to El Cafecito. I hope that you have enjoyed a well-deserved break and that 2019 is not crushing you just yet. I realized that the weather has been kind of awful lately, so for this episode, we will be taking you to a place that is a little bit warmer. Maybe not politically, as we will explore in a moment, but at least temperature-wise. So last week, I sat down with Joan Mella to discuss his article, Anti-Haitian Prejudice in the Dominican Republic, which can be found in the second volume of Cossacks Cuna, um, available online at the LAS website under the blog tab. Anti-Haitianism in the Dominican Republic is a topic that has become increasingly relevant in light of the Dominican Republic's immigration laws concerning Haitians over the last decade, In 2010, the Dominican government stripped the citizenship from Dominican-born children of undocumented Haitian migrants. The new policy applied to anyone born between 1929 uh, 1929, and 2010. So anyone born on or after 1929 to persons whose immigration status was irregular was denationalized. The only exception children of diplomats, and of short-term travelers. So this policy left about 200,000 people in a stateless limbo, which has come to represent the largest mass of stateless people in the Western Hemisphere. Haitians have represented for a long time a source of cheap labor, especially in the Dominican sugarcane field, and so it has always been convenient for the state to limit their access to proper documentation by complicating the process as much as possible, not only through institutional means, but through societal means as well, by essentially calling a war, a cultural war, on anything Haitian. Even those who have had the proper documentation have always had to fight for recognition and have always had to prove their ties to the land. So to some, the Dominican denationalization policy might have come as a surprise, but those who are familiar with the Republic's history can understand that the racism and the xenophobia behind the court's ruling have long been entrenched in Dominican society and institutions. Yoan really helped me understand the origins of this anti-Haitian narrative. And so here is that interview. Right. The interesting thing that I try to highlight in my article is that actually that history isn't all that long. Actually, most of the prejudice, I argue, uh, originates in the Trujillo dictatorship from 1930 to 1961. Basically, my article, what it tries to explain is the distorted origins of anti-Haitianism. 
for example, I talk a lot about the Haitian occupation. You go to the Dominican Republic and many Dominicans will say, um, well, sure, our government mistreats Haitians, but, you know, they mistreated us in the past. They occupied us from 1822 to 1844, uh, and that was a terrible period for Dominicans. Actually, the historians saying that were employed by Trujillo, which was a very a well-known racist. Uh, especially Wasn't he, uh, didn't he paint his face, like, didn't he use makeup yes. to lighten his skin tone? Yes, yes, he used makeup. Uh, actually, one of his ancestors, like his grandmother, was Haitian. Oh. And yes, and that's something that, you know, he tries to hide. Uh, well, he tried to as much as he could. I was curious as to how these historians, these scholars that you talk about, interpret racist perspectives from the colonial era and how they justified Spanish racism in the colonial era. Uh, one thing that you will find, for, uh, in particular by this historian called, also employed by Trujillo, Manuel Arturo Peña Valle, he, in, in a 1947 book, he essentially left the Spaniards blameless for all the things that they did in the colonial period. Uh, I have a quote by him from that book. He says that the slaves of 1795 Santo Domingo did not struggle for their liberty, which they did not need because they were not victims nor treated inhumanely. So essentially what historians have done is that they've idealized the colonial period to try to make Spanish culture and Spanish legacy more appealing so that Dominicans can distance themselves from their African origins and try to simply only acknowledge and embrace their, their Spanish heritage. One thing that I found really interesting is how Dominicans interpret the Haitian Revolution and then the Haitian invasion of 1822, right? Yes. In black communities around the world, the Haitian Revolution, uh, led by Louverture, is something that they're very proud of, and they give a lot of respect to Haiti because of that history. But Dominicans don't seem to have that same idealization of the events due to how it was portrayed by these scholars, correct? Yeah, so... Well, first of all, like the revolution itself, which I also think it's amazing. It's like the only successful slave revolution yeah. in history. That's brilliant. Good for them. Uh, but in the Dominican Republic, that's not emphasized. What's emphasized was their brutality and their savagery and the violence. And, you know, it was a revolution. Yeah, there, there was violence. But, you know, there's another side to it. And, and well, and with the occupation, so, you know, it's portrayed as this terrible period where the Haitians subjugated all Dominicans and oppressed us and all that. Uh, and then in reality, you have revisionist historians like Juan Bosch who, who say that, no, no, actually... It wasn't all that bad for the average Dominican. The average Dominican was quite glad that the Haitians took over because the, the briefly independent government lasted two months. Uh, it actually defended slavery. And the Haitians, they had abolished slavery, of course. So that was welcomed by the overwhelming uh, population of the Dominican Republic. So these narratives, you know, the, the narrative of oppression Essentially, that was only the experience of wealthy landowners and the Catholic Church 
because they were the ones that owned, uh, well, like one of the policies was land distribution, mm -hmm. which of course benefited the, the poor peasants. Uh, and that only really hurt the elite. So that's, uh, that's the crux of my article, that like this whole history of anti-Haitianism was mostly really the experience or the, the ideals of Dominican elites, and that that has now seeped to all Dominicans, essentially. There's this one scholar called Joaquin Balaguer who equates race with nation, all in an attempt to separate Dominicans from blackness. Dominicans are not black, even if their skin tone right. is darker. Would you say that that emphasis on like racial identity also causes Dominicans to be able to separate themselves from from Haitians, um, for instance, in the uh, black Latino community, the Haitian revolution is glorified because they identify with them, whereas in the Dominican Republic, maybe they don't have that same link, even though racially it is there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's super interesting. And, and I definitely agree. Balaguer and others, something that they would constantly emphasize is that it's normal that Dominicans and Haitians don't get along because we're culturally incompatible. They speak uh, French Creole, uh, we speak Spanish, they practice voodoo, we practice uh, Christianity, and that stems from Balaguer's equation or almost confusion of race mm -hmm. and and nation. And, and yes, that, that was also a tool to let Dominicans majority of who you know look black well they can say well i'm not really black because i practice european traditions or right. whatnot and dominicans who are black in their documents they're identified as indians right not afro afro dominicans or right uh, you, you do have that. Some will say black, but an overwhelming majority will say, yeah, Indian, like dark Indian, light Indian. And that's almost made up. There was like this, uh, this study done recently uh, about the genetic composition of Dominicans. And we are, well, the, it said the, the average Dominican is 50% African, 40% European, which I was very surprised it was 40%. That seems super high. Uh, and, and four percent Native American. So, so that was also um, a part, like, you know, a, a strategy to quote-unquote whiten uh, the Dominican Republic and distance ourselves from our African, you know, origins, which is stupid to deny, in my opinion. Can you talk to me about the Trujillo era and how he really entrenched racism and xenophobia into, like, state institutions? Yeah, so, well, he ruled the country from 1930 to 1961. It was a totalitarian dictatorship. He's uh, considered the most brutal dictator in Latin American history. Which is saying a lot because Latin American dictators are not nice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, institutionally, it was mostly in education. The, the, if you see the textbooks, they're like, clearly racist. Like, the depictions of blacks are not our caricatures really and well the the most disgusting of all of uh, his racist policies was the 1937 massacre um, where ranges estimate from 10,000 to 40,000 
people, uh, Haitians and Dominicans of Haitian descent were, were exterminated along the border. And that was clearly uh, an ethnic cleansing campaign to, you know, an attempt to widen the country. And, and after that, um, in an attempt to, to like improve the, the international image of the Dominican Republic, but at the same time to continue the, his whitening of the country campaign, uh, he, he accepted, um, well, he welcomed into the country uh, Jews that were fleeing World War II, mm. uh, as well as Spaniards fleeing the, the Civil War uh, you know, with Franco. And, and you know, yeah, that's great that he did that. But at the same time, it was clearly, explicitly stated that that was done in an attempt to bring more white people to the country. So, so yeah, it right. was a... And that's the exact same motivation that, that motivated the Argentinian government when they were receiving Italian immigration and Jewish immigration. I also read that, um, so this massacre, El Corte, is also called the Perejil Massacre. Yeah, so legend has it, I'm not sure if this is fact, but the legend is that uh, the, well, the Dominican army, when they were trying to figure out who was Dominican and who was Haitian, they would ask them to say the word Perejil. And Haitians, because you know they have a French influence, they have a very hard time saying that word properly. So if you said it incorrectly, you were a goner. Wow. Just, yeah, very dark. And how is this massacre remembered today? Is it remembered by the state? Like, are there state memorials or are memorials at a local level? No. Or not at all? No, there are are no memorials. Uh, We were taught about it in high school for like half half a class, like not even probably. Uh, it's something, no, it's something that's not, it's something that's, you know, like hidden or trying to be forgotten. And yeah. Square. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's still nobody, no one has ever been imprisoned for that. Uh, so yeah, that was genocide that went totally impugned. Supposedly, Franklin D. Roosevelt really condemned the massacre and to kind of make the U.S. happy, Trujillo swore that he would compensate the families. But to this date, there's no record proving that any money was received on on the Haitian end at all. So Well, what I have, I did read that some money was received on the Haitian end, but to the Haitian prime minister. Nice. As a bribe. <laughs> and that was that, essentially. Yeah, because Haiti, you know, should have, should have been more more vocal, I, I think, about that. But yeah, corruption yeah, just doesn't end. What can you tell me about the weaknesses of anti-Haitianism? So, as I said before, I argue that anti-Haitianism well, basic, was consolidated by the works of elite intellectuals, uh, mostly during the Trujillo regime. So looking at that, I was like, okay, so if this is an ideology imposed from the top to the bottom, then how, like, it should not be universal or it should not be this pervasive. Um, So I started researching about, you know, ways that could be undermined. And, uh, well, the first obvious place to me was, um, 
you know, we, we have the mostly the same, the same origins. We're the sons and daughters of African slaves. So we, we definitely have cultural elements in common. And something that I found super interesting was voodoo. Uh, that's in pop culture, that's voodoo. You know, you know, like witchcraft and yeah. scary stuff and all that. But it's actually, you know, a, a religion that's uh, emerged as a combination of African religions, Christianity, and and native and Taino uh, religions. And well, in the in the Dominican Republic, the notion is that the voodoo that exists in the Dominican Republic was brought by Haitians crossing over because, you know, they're the Africans and we're all Christian and all that, and that's it. That was all um, foreign to us. Yeah, exactly. But there was uh, this great book published by Milagros Ricourt, and she argues that, no, actually, voodoo must have originated in the Dominican Republic because uh, this the, the eastern side of Hispaniola was the first one that was... Uh, well, the first one were African slaves were brought and, you know, they were the first maroon community settled. Um, and, and in her survey of the country, she goes to towns all over the, the country in, in the rural uh, areas and in cities. And she finds, a, you know, quite active uh, voodoo community. So... You know, she says, and, and I agree, that an interesting uh, way to build bonds between our countries would be emphasizing that, emphasizing uh, a common religion that is not shared by all Dominicans, but, but is shared by many. Besides that, uh, an interesting case study, I think, that it's actually it's most often cited as an example of racism in the Dominican Republic is the 1994 elections where Jose Francisco Peña Gomez got, he lost the elections. Well, okay, first of all, he's, he was the son of Haitian father and Haitian mother. They fled from the Dominican Republic during the 1937 massacre. Um, they lived in the border and he was taken in by, uh, adopted essentially by a Dominican family and raised in the Dominican Republic his entire life. He was, well, yeah, he was Dominican. He was born in the Dominican Republic, right? Um, so yeah, in that election, uh, he was slandered by all like the, the most stupid and racist, uh, forms of, you know, political cartoons and attacks. And nonetheless, he lost the election only by, let's see, 41.6% to Balaguer's 42.3%. So less than wow. a 1% uh, differential, right? And, and even that, a lot of people say that he probably won because Balaguer was so fraudulent in those elections that his presidential term was cut to two years. You know, you could say that, yeah, well, Dominicans are racist enough to slander him and call him an ape and say that he's only running for president to unify the island with Haiti and all that. But more than 40% of Dominicans also voted for him. So we're not all that bad. You know, we have some, some love uh, in us. Another example would be with the denationalization uh, ruling that was passed, uh, that was actually met by a lot of, uh, well, a, a huge backlash. You know, 200,000 people without a nation is ridiculous. Uh, you know, this affected people that were born 
all the way back to 1929 yeah. in Dominican soil. And, and up, to, up to 2010, the Dominican Constitution said that you know, no matter who your parents were, if you were born in the DR, you were Dominican, period. So, so yeah, uh, there was a huge backlash against that. And, and you know, Dominican civil society, uh, some sectors of it anyway, mobilized to, to protest that. So these are some examples of how anti-Haitianism can be challenged. Um, but on a bleaker note, uh, it's still there. Recently, the United Nations signed a, a migratory pact, a, the Global Compact for Safe, Orderly, and Regular Migration. And it was, it was a, an exhortative document. It was not legally binding. It was essentially, you know, suggestions to how any decent country should treat human beings and and in the Dominican Republic there was this huge uproar about it no the Dominican Republic cannot sign on to that that's gonna violate our sovereignty and let uh, thousands of Haitians into our country and and and, and see that's that was just a, a knee-jerk reaction because what the compact said, most of it was already enshrined in the Dominican constitution. So a lot of work still has to be done to, for us to call ourselves brothers. Well, for all Dominicans. Would you say that um, anti-Haitianism or, or that, you know, there's been this exclusive Dominican culture that's most evidently at an elitist level from what you said. But would you say that then that that it culture still remains at a local level as well? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, well, like our Dominican culture, essentially by, well, by uh, my usual suspects, Baraguer and, and Manuel Arturo Peña Valle, uh, essentially what they've said is that Dominican culture is Hispanic. Culture. We're, yeah. we're basically Spanish when when you know like no no way our population is you know from people coming from Africa from all sorts of uh, parts of uh, Western Africa and there's like some Taino influence uh, yet that's that's like our you know the the national uh, ideal is that that yes we're Spanish and like you know Dominicans regardless of their their skin color they'll say like oh yes I have a great 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 grand uncle that was from Asturias Spain and like yeah sure okay good job yesterday you told me that because you recently went back to the Dominican Republic for over the the winter break and you told me that you realized that your article was too optimistic yeah yeah, so I was, you know, I was looking at all these, uh, um, you know, the work that NGOs like Centro Bono and Reconocido have done to help denationalize uh, Dominicans and to help Haitians obtain, you know, legal papers to work in the Dominican Republic. Uh, and that, that, that piece by, by Milagros Ricourt, which was super interesting and very inspiring and showed us what I believe, that, you know, we're, we're different countries, yes, but we're, we're brother countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I was down there speaking to mostly middle-class, well-educated people, and I was very surprised that they, they eat up these conspiracy theories uh, about the, the peaceful invasion that the Dominican Republic is being peacefully invaded and that Haitians aren't actually 
migrating to have you know better jobs they're actually migrating to unify the country and and it's like no like it's impossible for for tens of thousands of Haitians that are clearly just you know looking for a better life and just and what they're doing is sending back money to their families in Haiti uh, like no that's that's just something made up and the other thing is that oh like uh, developed countries like the US and Canada they, they don't want to take care of Haiti so so they want Haiti and the Dominican Republic to unify and they they'll tell me that with a straight face and well with a straight face and with fear in their faces and th this is also repeated nonstop by media right? right so so you know there's to me to me there's an agenda you know powerful people want dominicans to be afraid of haitians and they want dominicans to think that the problem with the country is haitian immigration whereas i believe the real problem with the country is the disgusting and rampant corruption in you know that of our government and I think that there's also a tendency to refraining from admitting how much the Dominican Republic has benefited from Haitian immigration as well, right? Because as you explained in your article, they came to work in the sugarcane fields because they were being paid low wages to begin with. It was cheap labor. And right now they're very present in anything that has to do with agriculture, construction, construction, yes. anything that requires cheap labor. So you would think that if this was really a, a very serious problem, a serious threat for the Dominican Republic, that they would eradicate these um, opportunities that are attracting Haitian immigration in the first place. But they don't because it's they need it in yeah. the end. Yeah, no, they need it and... And it works for us. Like our well, the the sugar industry was our biggest industry for the early part of the twentieth century, and and that was you know the the fuel the engine behind that was Haitian laborers, and and today is the same with agriculture and with construction, um, and when they come here they. They consume. They they you know they buy our products. They buy cell phones to keep in contact with their family. They buy clothes. They buy uh, bus tickets and all that. And and the Dominican Republic has very high sales taxes. So you know it's it's not bad. It's not bad. It's good for our economy. And like what we should be trying to do is keeping, uh, well, improving our relations with Haiti because there are after the United States we are each other's first trading partners, right? So, so yeah, um, it's, uh, there's, you know, there's clear economic benefits to having uh, improved relations and to having, uh, you know, a regular, legal, well-organized Haitian immigration into our country. That, you know, we, we actually, we want that, but, the mainstream discourse is uh, that everything Haitian is bad, and that's yeah, that's extremely unfortunate. For well, first of all, for Haitians uh, that you know suffer sorts of violence and abuse and deportations uh, in the Dominican Republic, but it, you know it's also not great for our economy because you know they're our trading partner. What would you say is the most important step towards eradicating this kind of mentality? 
I would say that. Okay, <laughs> I know that's a huge question. Well, I'm sorry. So, so to solve all xenophobia everywhere. <laughs> well, no, but I think that you know you make a big point on how Haitian Dominican relations have been manipulated and have been filtered through a very yes. racist yeah. mindset and have been integrated into history books and the education system. So my personal opinion would be that the first step is is a reformation of how history is taught. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree that uh with that um like well with the Haitian occupation like you know maybe you know teaching the um a, a, either a more balanced account that accounts for all sectors of the Dominican of Dominicans not just the elite. And other than that, I think like a, a very important step is some humanity because if you, you look at Haiti uh it's a super unstable country it's had a very rough and violent history and you know given that and given the current state of Haiti it's you know it's clear that that Haitians aren't coming to a, to our country with a with a an ulterior agenda or or to steal or whatnot they're, they're just trying to you know get a better life um, make some money and, and help their family um, so yeah like uh, I feel like most Dominicans would see them as a threat or as an invading force and instead of that I I think you know, developing a, a sense that, no, they're, they're our brothers and we should help them help us. Something. Yeah, I think that there needs to be a larger awareness of the fact that Haitians are vulnerable in their own country and they become even more vulnerable when they're migrating to the Dominican Republic. So a greater awareness of the extent to which Haitian people are vulnerable in the Dominican Republic and, and Dominicans of Haitian descent to be aware of that vulnerability can also trigger some compassion and maybe sympathy, which from what I'm getting is something that's missing in the Dominican society. Absolutely, and I think that could go a long way to you know, improving the relations between our countries. So how will this end? I'm actually very curious as to what you guys think. Um, is this still a political problem of illegal Haitian immigration or is it a more social problem of discrimination, racism and intolerance? Does the Dominican Republic have to deport all those people it just rendered stateless? Or is it purposely slowing the deportation process to exploit the Haitian Dominican population on the island which has become even more vulnerable than it was before. Either way, it is clear that this is a grave human rights problem as tens of thousands of people continue to struggle to settle on either side of the island due to their lack of nationality. Um, on a more personal note, this problem reminds me of how Chile has been treating its own Haitian migrants. Uh, in the past couple of years, Chile has received a significant amount of Haitian and Venezuelan migrants, but the treatment of both groups has been extremely stark. Um, while the Haitian visa has been cut from 90 days to 30 days in 2018, with no possibility of applying for temporary residence, the visa for democratic responsibility, as it's called, 
gives Venezuelans a temporary residence permit with the possibility of applying for permanent residence after one year. So whereas the Chilean government is creating possibilities and extending opportunities for one group, the Venezuelans, it is limiting and narrowing considerably the opportunities and possibilities provided to Haitian migrants. The adjustments made to the Haitian visa have also been accompanied by a program of humanitarian flights back to Haiti, which is a program in which Haitians living in Chile can sign up voluntarily to be flown back to Haiti uh, on a free flight covered by yours truly, the government of Chile, under the promise of not returning to Chile for at least another nine years. This has been accused of being a disguised deportation and is evident of the Chilean's government lack of interest in actually addressing the problems that Haitians are facing in Chile, which are problems of stigma, of racism, of lack of documentation in some cases. So it's really a lazy effort, a lazy attempt to avoid dealing with those problems and saying, well, no, actually the humanitarian thing is to fly them all back to Haiti instead of helping them out the same way we've been helping out Venezuelans. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say. If you have any thoughts or comments that you would like to share with me, you can write to me personally at Cassandra with a C. So Cassandra.yanezl at gmail.com. And uh, that's everything for today. I will see you in two weeks.